Hey there, folks. This is Burton Gilliam from Fletch and I always kid, Laker Jim. I tell him, what are you doing? Some stunt podcasting or something? <laughs> What's he say? You are a listener to the only podcast that's all Paul Barrett's. Yeah, Laker Jim's Fletchcast. <laughs> Broadcasting live, live and around the world. Around the world. From Cabana One, the only podcast that's all ball bearings. Your ultimate source for everything Fletch. Moon River. Thank you, Doc. You ever serve time? Laker Jim and his beat reporters will stop at nothing to make sure Fletch lives forever. Forever. They don't shower much. This is Fletchcast. Thank you, Sammy, and welcome, everybody, to Fletchcast. I'm your host, Laker Jim. This week, Bob took some time off to remodel his garage, but not to worry. Joining me today are two men who stole a homecoming float on the way over and then crashed into a goalpost, Jake (laughs) and Greg Matola. Boys... (laughs) What do you have to say for yourselves? Just some consequence-free fun for the rich. (laughs) (laughs) Greg, welcome back to the show. Thanks for filling in for Bob. These are big shoes to fill. Size 16, in case you were wondering. (laughs) Thanks, Bob. (laughs) Pleasure to be here, Jim. Now, actually, we're recording this on the day that Confess Fletch premieres in the UK. So that's exciting. We first spoke to you days before it was going to come out in the US, and now we're we're on the UK release. So that's exciting. Yeah, I've done a few... um, Interviews for the UK release. They actually ran trailers there. So that's nice. Why didn't we think of that? I know. What, what, Genius. What? You know, it seems it seems like it's getting a similar reaction as it did here, which is that some people really, really like it. And some people are like, well, I can't get past a non-Chevy version, which is fair enough. But I think the majority of the people that saw it really enjoyed it. Absolutely. It's It's been gratifying. I mean, it's very nice. My wife is in charge of... She's the one who goes through the internet and Twitter and sends me nice things that people say and cuts out the mean things. <laughs> and, uh, you know, with comedy, there's, you know, it's it's very subjective. And and I think this is a particular style of comedy that's not for everybody. But the people who like it seem to really like it. It seems to feel like what I set out to do, which and what John wanted to do is do an adult comedy like they used to. You know, all kinds of comedies are viable and there's still tons of funny stuff out there. But there are certain styles of more verbal adult comedy that has been passed over for the kind of noisier slapsticky pop culture referencing sex farces that I, I'm the, my own enemy. So (laughs) (laughs) I was, um, I was reading empire magazine. I was reading their review and it was a good review. And and I think they kind of summed up what you said. It says in the end, confess Fletch is a mid budget mystery comedy for adults that will delight newcomers and please McDonald fanatics. Really, what could you ask for besides a sequel? So that was a good, it was a great yeah. interview, actually. Yeah, that's really nice to hear. And 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 I did a nice interview with them and they were super kind. You know, it makes me super happy that people who love the books have come out for the movie. And, and I think there are more, you know, it doesn't surprise me there's so many people who love the books, but you don't know if, you know, are those people who are also going to watch this or uh, hear about it. And 
I hear from more people than I expected who love the books, which is which is a great thing. Mm-hmm. And I hear from the occasional person who said, like, it's gotten me to start reading the books and I love them, which which I could not be happier about. If it gets anybody to look at the books, uh, that's a win because they're such a delight. Now, how about feedback from the studio? Were they happy with it? Yes, I think they're happy with the movie. I think that they understandably were not willing to to risk a ton of money on it, which I, you know, there have been some journalists who want me to be mad about that. And I mean, I am possibly slightly depressed about that, but I get it. I, I mean, look at, you know, people are still staying away. Pandemic just drags on and on. And we know what makes gets people to go. And it's a handful of genres, superheroes, certain kinds of action films and horror films that are real crowd pleasers and appeal to a younger audience. And that's those are the people who are going in in significant numbers to movies. And I can see, you know, Bros came out not long after us. Yeah. And they did advertise that movie and and it didn't do the business they had hoped. And I can't think of a comedy that has done a lot of business since the pandemic. It's maybe there's a couple of like action comedies, like I don't remember the name of the movie, but the one with um, Channing Tatum and Sandra Bullock. Oh, like Lost City or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like that. I think I think that did make some money, but that's a real full on studio action comedy. It's not a 20 million talkie comedy (laughs) with no special effects at all. (laughs) So I know we've heard rumors. So was the budget 20? Is that what it was? The budget after, um, after you know, we got a Massachusetts is a good rebate state, so we mm-hmm. probably spent closer to twenty five, and then got a bunch of it back. But you know, the sad part about that twenty is something like two and a half million is eaten up by COVID protocols. Oh, true. Okay. And, and insurance, and so you know, we're closer to an eighteen million dollar film. But it was surprising how not far twenty million goes in this day and age. I did super bad for 20 million and we shot for 40 days and, you know, but inflation, that was a while ago. You know, I I certainly learned things that I will apply to the next one if they let me do the next one. I feel like, I feel like the next one, I want it to be a bigger production. Not, I don't want to lose what people liked about this one, but I do want it to, I want to build on this one. So, you know, we'll see, we'll see, (laughs) we'll see if they give me a little more time and money. Who knows? Let us say thank you, too, because I know you gave back a portion of your salary. John did, too. And that means so much to Fletch fans everywhere that believed in it enough to put your money where your mouth is. Well, you know, the question I I got a lot in interviews is, how did you break the Fletch curse? And the answer is, it was by being willing to take the risk of doing it for less money, Um, both taking less money, but, but, you know, shooting it in fewer days than I thought we needed but that's why we gave money back it literally was just to buy us more shooting days and i'm glad we did because there were things if i had more time there were certain scenes i would have probably done somewhat differently but i don't feel like i sacrificed anything that was really essential to me mm-hmm. uh for better or worse and you know part of that was trying to capture a version of the tone of the book um the books obviously aren't as joke heavy as the movie is uh that's part of the compressing something down to 90 minutes and 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 making it play for an audience. But I really hope to get to the spirit of the book in a way that's different than the original. Mm-hmm. I mean, the original has a ton of the spirit of the book. And um, 
but yeah, the, the I, I'm sure I talked about this last time, but the difference between a character like Fletch and a character like um, Sam Spade or Philip Marlowe is that other people played those characters a lot. Yeah. Um, and, and so they don't have one great performance hanging over them to discourage people from doing it again. And I don't know how much that had to do with the other Fletch movies falling apart. If the, if, if Chevy looming large over it, uh, gave financiers pause yeah um you know when i and i get the comments of x y or z actor would have been better for the movie than john and those are mostly from people who want someone to carry on chevy's performance right you know they'd rather have chevy do it in a time machine uh and i'd love to see i'd love to see those movies too i wish i wish for the second movie they didn't write their own script i really wish they just kept the books I mean, so much of what's great about the first Fletch is the premise of that novel is so clever and interesting um, and so much fun. And like all of the books, there's always more than one mystery going on. Mm -hmm. And and the first Fletch movie really captured that. Um, both him investigating, you know, the drug connection on the beach and being asked to murder someone by the person who wants to be murdered. <laughs> and that's such a great premise um yeah i don't know why they didn't go back to the books i don't know what the thinking was there right you bring up something that comes up a lot originally andrew bergman wrote fletch two fletch and the man who script what happens to, to those scripts that people write that don't ever get made are they ever able to be published anywhere does he, the person that write it have any rights to it at all or is it just owned by the studio that hired them and will never see them other than leaks here on the internet. Yeah, only only if something gets leaked on the I for instance, I adapted this novel. This is a uh, novelist, uh, Jeffrey Eugenides, who wrote the, the version Suicides mm -hmm. and another book called Middlesex, which were both very well received books. Sofia Coppola made a great film out of the version Suicides. And we adapted one of his books called The Marriage Plot. We were writing it for Columbia Pictures and Scott Rudin. And we worked, we wrote maybe three different approaches to the book. It wasn't an easy book to adapt. And we tried three different strategies on how to adapt it and what to include and what to not include and, and how to make it something that would work on a budget. And we just, according to our bosses, did not get there. They just felt this isn't a movie. This isn't, this isn't going to happen. Many years later, Natalie Portman now has the rights to the book, and she wants to start a brand new script. And she can't really look at our versions of it, even to learn what to do or not to do, because because then she's in some kind of legal liability that if she has anything that's close to what we did in our adaptation, the people who own, not us, not the writers, but the people who own what we wrote, being Sony Pictures, and Scott Rudin could sue her. So it's this weird thing that even though the original novelist co-wrote it with me, we can't show it to anybody. We can't do anything with it. We can't go to another company and say, can we make this? In some cases, if the company's feeling generous, they'll say, yeah, you can take this somewhere else and try and make it. But often, you know, they just sit on it and it just dies in a vault somewhere. Yeah. I mean, I'd be so curious to read Andrew Bergman's script. Oh, yeah. Oh, me too. I mean, he he says it's great. <laughs> he tweeted about it recently. <laughs> and he said, I wrote a terrific script. And, and and you know what? He's one of the best comedy writers who ever lived. So I yeah. wouldn't doubt it. God, I would love to see it. Why on earth did they not make that one? I don't know. 
you left us on a little bit of a cliffhanger last time we spoke <laughs> and you said there was something you regret not writing for for monroe something a, a flynn sort of reference that if you had thought about it you meant to write the line yes oh god now i have to remember what i said <laughs> what the hell i was talking about gone through yeah. the, so many times trying to figure out yeah we have it wasn't a reference to bit by bit because flynn mentions bit by bit was that it by any chance no oh my god what was it i'm gonna let you guys know. oh um it had to do with the how flynn solved the case oh not the the hitler youth no right, right, right. no i did have a scene in one early version where fletch goes to flynn's house and meets his family Mm-hmm. And Flynn introduces him as as the murderer <laughs> to all his kids. That's a great chapter of the book. I mean, that's a whole chapter. Yeah, and and I really and I really loved writing it. And at the end of the day, it felt like there are only so many digressions we could do. Um, and 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 is it too close to Flynn? Which was a bit of an eagle, uh, legal problem or question. But I, I at least had him introduce um fletch to his infant as as he's got to talk to the murderer right now i was like i had to get that line in somewhere because it, it was just too priceless um this is another thing we didn't do from the book which is that the solving of the murder all happens off stage fletch yeah learns from flynn how he figured it out um i think it had to do with that it had to do with um Flynn being a better detective than Fletch in 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 the end, or or a very worthy adversary, <laughs> um, a very collegial adversary. On top of it, okay, this is embarrassing, but I really now I'm gonna have to rewatch the episode and get back to you for <laughs> the third time we talk. So LJ had a great premise about where to put in Chevy in the movie. You said we would have put Chevy in if there was a a good role for him. Yeah. Right. What about the role of the Commodore? Oh, good Lord. Let me paint this picture. <laughs> now in a perfect world, Moon River is being played by the band. Yeah. <laughs> and Chevy walks up on ham as the Commodore. Like, how amazing would that have been? Yeah, that 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 is the best place. We did talk about that. Um, yeah. I think the fear from the studio was that it would be more distracting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And 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 it might feel insulting to Chevy to offer him a part that small, a one scene role, and then get shot at the end. <laughs> but but yeah, I know he gets the shot, and and I made sure we kept in the part that the Commodore's still alive because I thought <laughs> Fletch gave him shit. He doesn't need to die for yeah. it. Yeah. Um, Speaking hypothetically again, if you somehow in a fantasy world could have cast Flynn, yeah, in. With your dream actor of choice, when you were reading the book, who did you picture as Flynn? Because it's been a conversation we've had. I cannot picture an actor. And it's so distracting to me because of the way they describe Flynn having like a tiny head and a giant body and yeah. all these sort of like attributes. Could Brian Cranston have played that role? Could Mike Myers as the dad from So I Married an Axe Murderer? Give your mother a kiss and I'll kick your teeth in. Like, yeah, I mean, like, I, I don't know what Flynn looks like. I mean, what were you? Yeah, I, I think I pictured Brendan Gleeson. Okay, yeah. Yeah, he was in the uh, Harry Potter movies, right? Yeah, yeah. That was okay. the closest. He, But I feel like he's too old for Flynn. Hmm. Um, I mean, he's a wonderful actor. He's a great actor. Um, but at least, I mean, he's Irish. And he's got some of 
the physical qualities, but the way he's described in the book is is unusual and interesting. And it's hard to get past that picture you have of this <laughs> yeah. odd looking guy. <laughs> odd looking, yeah. Burly. I don't know why. I always saw James Caught in that role. That would be amazing. Rest in peace. Um Yeah, really. That's pretty cool. There was the that Irish actor who was on one of the Star Trek shows who has has the curly hair and I'm forgetting his name. Oh he was in one yeah, of- yeah, yeah. He was an enterprise, maybe? Was he on Yeah, Calmini or Calm yeah. Calmini or something like that? Yes, I know you're talking about. Yes. Yeah, he had he had like the yeah, he had the curly ginger hair or something that but besides the obvious problem of what do you do with the Hitler youth aspect if you're doing a contemporary version of it. And it would have been super cool to do a period piece. Um Oh yeah. I mean, now that at least there's more than one Fletch in the world, I would fully be into other people doing the books, the other books. I mean, you know, John's way too old to play the prequel books, obviously. Yeah. So there's no reason someone couldn't do those and do the period pieces. And um, I mean, I suppose you could try to steal the plots and, and, and make it older Fletch, but Anyway, I say I say have at it, fledgling filmmakers of the world. <laughs> um, we've had a lot of James Bonds. We could have multiple Fletches. <laughs> oh yeah. Now, originally, when when John brought up Fletch for the first couple of times, he had mentioned that the story was going to be moved to New York. Obviously, the story's in Boston. And what was the thinking there with the New York switch? I think John's original idea for New York was that because the first was in LA, it would make it as, as diametrically opposed. And the art yeah. world is so big in New York. It seemed like the art world setting um, had a, a slightly bigger cachet in New York. But the truth is when Zev wrote his first draft and set it in New York and he made it in a bigger way about the art world, I kind of felt like I've seen the art world satirized a lot, the New York art world satirized a lot. And and that was not as interesting to me as the novel. And Zev had jettisoned a lot of stuff from the novel. Um, and, you know, which is a choice, which is not a wrong choice. It's just a choice. But when it, we started to run the numbers and what a New York version would cost, yeah, it was just going to be a lot more expensive and we'd have even fewer days. And so the guy who runs Miramax, Bill Block, said, are you completely against setting it where the book is set in Boston? And I, and I said, really, the truth is I know New York better than Boston. That was one of my fears. But let's investigate it. Let's let's do a serious look. And I started and that was around the time I was taking over the script. So I started to research Boston and and where we would set these scenes um, and what was still kind of the same about Boston today. Um, and in the fact that it was, we're in the classical art world, we're not in the modern art world. Uh, it's very easy to believe that there's rich people in Boston buying paintings from the Renaissance through Impressionism and onwards. Sure. That 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 it didn't really take anything away from me, and I got more and more excited about Boston because that's because that's where the book is, and um, and I got over my fear of shooting in a city I don't really know. Um, we just had enough time when I got there to hit the ground running and really start scouting and exploring and looking for spaces that made sense for it. Um, and we got lucky insofar as, you know, Boston's one of those cities that everyone leaves in the summer anyway, and the pandemic was keeping people inside. So we were suddenly getting offers from people to let us use their spaces for a 
a, a doable fee because I think people were so dying to see humans again. <laughs> They're like, sure, bring all of your grips into my house and <laughs> smash things. Um, and uh, yeah, so it, it could not have been more perfect. And I was really glad at the end of the day that that's, you know, that's where the book was set and that, and that, and it should be Boston and that trying to go to New York was trying too hard to, to give it a profile um, that is different than the first Fletch and any of you, maybe we were imagining we'd have more time and money when we started the process, but you know, the writings on the wall about films right now, right. And everything, you know, I mean, so many, you know, Kevin Hart movies go straight to Netflix. Now um, Adam Sandler right. movies go straight to Netflix. Now these are people who made tons of money at the box office and, and what are, what were we to expect? It was like, this is, this is how you do it. This is, like I said, break the Fletch curse is that you you do it as smartly as you can and try to make get all the money on screen. Greg, have you heard anything about a DVD possibly coming out? I mean, there will be a DVD and a Blu-ray. I don't know um, okay. if there'll be any special features or not. Um, I'm hoping that maybe John and I can do a commentary on it. Um, okay. And I'd like to supervise, make sure that the Blu-ray especially looks as good as it can. And, you know, there's a, the world of quality control also isn't what it used to be. So I kind of have to wedge myself into some of those things sometimes because, mm -hmm. because, you know, it's content. It's not, right. it's, it's not, yeah, not even entertainment. Right. It's just content. Any idea on a timeline on that? I don't know, but hopefully I'll be back soon and i'll have more information on that okay that's great all right we're going to take a quick break hear a word from a sponsor and then greg we're going to play a little game with you sure a little game we call fletch either or okay after this do you want a friend ben franklin feeling lonely ben franklin need a workout ben franklin call us today at 1-900-FRIEND your place or mine. The Ben Franklin Service. A service company that has everything you desire. So let me ask you again. Do you want a friend? Ben Franklin. Joan or Margaret? It's time to play. Flash. Flash. Either. Either. Or. Or. Uh-huh, right. Well, which one? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Okay, so Fletch either or. It's pretty self-explanatory. You ready? Sure. Okay, let's get started. Gail Stanwyck or Becky Culpepper? Well, you know, I think Gail. Okay. Gail Stanwyck or Larry? Ooh, that's tough. You know, I'm. I, now I think of the actresses, and they're both super cute. <laughs> um, um, I actually knew her in real life, Dana Wheeler Nickerson. So I would pick her because I I knew her in person and had such a crush on her, and knew she was in the movie. So she's awfully, and she's sweet as can be. Yeah, she's oof. okay. Lobster Thermidor or steak sandwich? Oh well, yeah, steak sandwich. Steak sandwich. Very good. Sandwich. And the last one. Provo, Utah or Provo, Spain? 
<laughs> I'm going to go with Utah. All right. Good job. Okay, good, good. <laughs> Pass this test with flying colors. <laughs> hey, if you wouldn't mind, we got some fans call in with some pledge questions for you if you have some time to answer them. Sure. I've got more time. Okay. Let's take some calls. Hey, Laker, Jim, Jake, Bob. Paul Simon from Rush Fans here, South Side of Chicago. Thanks for keeping the IP alive all these years. Later, we appreciate how much you put into it all this time. My question for Greg. Greg, you, the cast and crew, made the Fletch movie as far as I'm concerned. I picked up my first Fletch novel in 1988, and it was Kinsai Fletch. Not popular to say, but it was despite the first film. Not slamming it, just saying it wasn't as much my thing, but the novel took me instantly, so I was more about those. You captured the best of both worlds for the film and novel fans. We appreciate it. You made a great movie. Understanding that there are many unknowns and not yet and things you aren't allowed to say or talk about. Overall, how optimistic are you about Fletcher's fortunes? Do you hope to include Crystal and what she might bring to the series eventually? Again, thanks a lot. Appreciate it, guys. Aloha. Um, well, Paul, I mean, Crystal is a great character. And so she's absolutely going to be in the movie. Um, a lot of the jokes about Crystal would be tricky to do in our day, day and age. And I think you guys know what I mean. Yes. Um, yes. Uh, far as in the spirit of the book, I mean, I've had friendships like that with people where you might joke about someone's weight or, and, and, and what I love about their relationship is it's such an easy going, they clearly amuse each other kind of thing. So what happens between Fletch and Crystal is not that surprising because they have a real affection for each other. And, and, and it's kind of great that Fletch is, uh, is not such a jerk that he'll only go to bed with beautiful babes. Right. <laughs> um, that uh, Fletch, Fletch is, uh, is a man of many appetites <laughs> and, and also loves his friends. I mean, he really loves his friends. He loves, there are people he loves offbeat people and he, and, and has, you know, great affection for that character. As far as what we know about Crystal, how she plays into the overall scheme of the Fletch novels, it's a little hard for me to imagine that far ahead. You're going to get there. You're going to get there. But yeah, I mean, to use a really bad pun, the seed will be planted. <laughs> Which is a okay, really tasteless right. way for the people who know what happens in Fletcher's Fortune to put it. So a shower curtain will be involved. Probably, yeah, probably. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go to the next call. Hey, guys, want to say thank you to the distinguished guys, the Fletch cast. You guys have done a great job. Many fans appreciate the content. Also, thank you to Greg for a job well done. I hope there are more movies based on the books. And as far as a question for Greg, um, when will you know a rough time frame as to when a, when you'll go ahead with another Fletch movie and two, how much will it take to get the original theme music into the next movie? The guys mentioned, uh, even a GoFundMe. If that happens, I'm in and I'll get Frida to write the first check. Uh, put down $30 for yourself. Sincerely yours, Fletch Burr from the Chicago birds. <laughs> I mean, I, there are certain things that, I would be more open to doing in a sequel that I wasn't open to doing in this one, which is something like, you know, as in an abstract sense, put the theme in somewhere because, because I didn't want to, I was very perversely not wanting to ride on nostalgia. 
and on other people's accomplishment. Because I think, I think, first of all, I think there's a price you pay for that, that it can backfire and that it reminds something it's, it's taking other people's work and trying, you know, there's something about the Ghostbusters spinoff sequels, whatever you want to call them that I can see why they aren't satisfying completely to some people. I mean, I think, you know, I haven't, I haven't seen the last one. I haven't had time to see the last one. Um, there are things I really enjoyed about the Paul Feig movie. Mm-hmm. And and yet at the same time, I can see why I drive people nuts. The sort of, it's sort of like it, it's sort of not. It's like, where do you go? But since I feel like we did some things right in Confess Fletch, in making it its own thing, and, che- and, and since John and I are big fans of Chevy and the original, why not? pay more homage to it so have i completely ruled out the idea of begging chevy to make an appearance no um he may have ruled it out (laughs) he may not i've not heard from the gentleman uh he may not be happy chevy was on the dana carvey and david spade podcast and he kind of got asked about it and to be honest he glossed over it both times yeah they asked him twice they said to chevy oh if somebody did a play on your life who would play you, John Hamm? <laughs> and he either didn't get the joke or he acted like he didn't get the joke. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he might have very strong. I mean, I know it's his favorite role, so he might have very strong feelings mm-hmm. about it. And I would not blame the man. Um, so to, uh, to get back to Fletchfer, what's his real name? Fletchfer. Yeah, Fletchfer. Uh, yeah, that music is great. And there and and uh, yeah, possibly. And as far as the timeline is concerned, that's hard to know. I, I'm going to start post on this pilot on a pilot I just did for Hulu on Monday and at the same time start rereading Fletch's Fortune and get going on that. I have been officially paid to start, so that's a good sign. Whoa, that's big news. The check okay. cleared. That's great. I have a lot of ideas. Hopefully some of them are good and stay. And I can't wait to start writing it. So so I'm very, I'm very thrilled by the prospect of of getting to do another one. So would, can you say for sure? I can't say for sure because it'll, it'll, you know, because John and I gave up some of our money, our deals on the second one were a little bit better than the first one to try and make up for that. That, of course, adds money to the budget. Um, maybe we're in a situation to have a few higher profile uh, names in the movie, friends of ours that we would go to and that would help justify the budget. I mean, I could not have loved my cast more. There's not a single person yeah. that I wasn't thrilled with who did this movie. Um, so, so you know, I have I have absolutely no regrets there. But we had to call in favors. We had to ask people who get paid more money to do it at a number. So we'll see. I mean, it's it's a strange thing having this hybrid release of small theaters, very little marketing on demand then showtime and rentable it's like i don't know i don't know how they even quantify whether it's a success or not i don't know who knows and you know in the world of streaming numbers and on demand it's so hard to get any kind of transparency of how it's done or what it's doing uh yeah so this whole streaming thing once these companies basically saturate the entire planet how what's their plan <laughs> what are they going to do yeah, what's next i mean it's like how do you keep growing when you grow to a certain point where you've got every corner of the world anyway so so 
So I'm, <laughs> we're all ca- caught in the vortex of changing the technology. Well, here's a good example of how much we love the cast. Grizz liked and commented on our post on Instagram the other day. I saw that. Yes. Me and Jake were like little schoolgirls. Yeah, we were, we were so giddy. <laughs> I know. Well, Aiden is the best. She is so funny and so winning. And I'd like your I'd like to ask, I'd like to turn the tables and ask you a question. If I found a way to work Morris and Grizz into the next movie, would you think that's desperate? Because they're obviously not in the book. Or would you think if I could find a way that worked in the story and wasn't just shoehorned in in the lamest way? Would that be interesting to you guys as Fletch lovers? Would that be, would that, or would you say, well, that's, that doesn't make any sense because they're not in the book. Well, here's the thing with me. Now, I know in Fletch's Fortune, there's a mention, I believe, of Flynn in Fletch's Fortune when, because Fletch calls Jack, which I assume you'll probably make that Frank. Yes. In, in, in the Fortune. Um so I'm sure you could put an angle in there where I would be fine with it because I will tell you that the response of those two characters from, you know, both of us, Bob, of course, and I think in the general public was, you know, overwhelmingly positive. So I, it, I could definitely see that happening and I would be fine with it. I mean, I'll definitely, I'm going to use the, the, the Picasso somehow in the next movie yes. and they were, yeah. you know, Flynn at the very end was still searching for it, still trying to find out what happened to those paintings, like Flynn right. Morris, I mean. <laughs> um, and and right. so I thought, is that is that a connection? You know what you can do? You can make them the two cops that uh, force Fletch to bug the convention. Yeah, instead of like the CIA. Yeah. You know, the first scene of the book is Fletch is in Italy, and the CIA people come into his... I mean, that could be the two of them. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. You know, when, you know, walking in and there they are standing there. Fletch gets out of the pool and... Hi, Grizz. That hadn't occurred to me, but that's... Yeah, that hadn't occurred to me, but that's... There's... there's. I mean, as, as loving those two actors as much as I do, and loving Roy and Aiden as much as I do, because they are two of the best human beings I know, um, and loving them on screen, yeah, that's pretty appealing. You've just... You've just given me an idea that I will take full credit for if people like. <laughs> um, so, so I'll think about that. I'll definitely think about that. Um, well, it's yours. We work for free. <laughs> we act for free. We podcast for free. So, yes, if you need yeah. like, podcasters in the background Great. because of the convention going on or something like that, you know, for sure. Great. <laughs> well, that's one thing. That's one thing I've been thinking a lot about is where to set it, because um, obviously the book is set in the South. Yeah, Virginia. Not not dissimilar to the setting of Fletch Lives. And I don't know that I want it to feel like Fletch Lives because it's just I want to distinguish it. So, uh, you know, and it's also going to be smart to set it in a good rebate state because that's just the lay of the land. Um, so I've thought about places like New Mexico or Colorado, someplace that's very couldn't be more different than Boston. Yeah, I remember John saying something about that, that he was already kind of mentioning a sequel during the interviews. And I remember he said something about a second one possibly being set in the Southwest or something like that. And I think that would be yeah. cool. 
so someplace that has physical beauty um, that would feel very different than Boston, but also um, would be keep them sort of there's a hothouse quality. I mean, Fletcher's Fortune reads a bit like an Agatha Christie uh, takes place in an estate kind of uh, mystery. You've got people trapped at a place. And they're all right. they're all together. I think pushing that even further away from civilization might be helpful. Mm-hmm. Um and getting a re- big fat rebate so we can have more days to shoot would be helpful. I shot a movie in New Mexico, this movie, Paul, with Simon Pegg and Nick yeah. Carlson. Oh, yeah. I loved we work, love that movie. working there. That was such a, oh, thanks. It was such, it was so much fun to work. That was supposed to be a road trip. And we got all these looks out of going around various places. We were based in Santa Fe, but we went to all various Taos and this town called Las Vegas, New Mexico, where Easy Rider was shot and Red Dawn was shot. It's yeah. It was like an old old railroad stop on the way out west. So it looks nothing like the Adobe houses of of New Mexico. Um it's a great yeah, it's a great and beautiful place. Um so we'll see. I'm still this is stuff I'm just beginning to research. Um to try and make sense of. I thought about going back to Southern California, but the truth is it's hard to, that's an expensive place to shoot. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe if they let me keep doing them and there's a, you know, a reason why the book doesn't necessarily have to be where it was written. Um, I mean, in, in, in Fletch's fortune, I'm about to, you know, I, it's actually been, a, I haven't picked it up again. I've been waiting until my head was more clear. Is it an old plantation turned resort? I think that's what so it is. That's yeah. kind uh, of my rele- yes. recollection of it. Yeah. yeah. You know, I was thinking, because I'm from West Virginia, and there's a resort in Southeast West Virginia called the Greenbrier Resort. And for some reason, it's like Old South, you know, with like, it's, yeah, I, um, and I, and, um, you know, big white columns and, you know, it's sleepy town down South, that kind of thing. Yeah. I always, when I read it, pictured it there in that. that I'll, re- I'll research that. Yeah. Yeah. It's in Southeast West Virginia. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't begun that research of what it should be. I'm sure you could shoot it cheap there. I'm sure you could shoot it real cheap there. If you were in, yeah, I know that a lot of people like West Virginia, you'd probably get crew out of Pittsburgh a lot. Or, yeah. Or um, like maybe Roanoke or maybe even DC. Yeah. Because it's just right over the, over the, at, at the mountains there. It's not far. Yeah. All right. Let's, we got a couple more calls. Hi, Zach here from St. George, Utah. Greg, I'd like to know, I've heard that you're you're working on Fletch's Fortune. Who do you picture in the role of Freddie Arbethnot? Oh, God. Thanks. Love her. Um, I don't really know yet. I, I, I'm sort of resisting the idea of of falling in love with an actress to play that part or Crystal yet, because I want to write it mm-hmm. first. Mm-hmm. Um, and not, but, you know, I mean, John and I have talked about a few people. I feel like I don't want to say yet because these are people we know and I don't want them to hear like, what, I, what do you, yeah. I'm, you think I'm <laughs> going to play something? Um, but it's a, once again, great part. It's, it's a great relationship they have in the book. It's great that she shows up again in other books. Um, you know, Aubrey Plaza would be a good Freddie. She, she, you know, she actually did a table read for us of Confess Fletch. Yeah, uh, yeah. Aubrey, Aubrey read a bunch of power. It was like we just want to hear the script read, and she's a friend of John's, and I met her a couple of times, and we had her and Pat Oswalt, um, and a few other friends um, read the script for us, so we could just hear it out loud. And boy, you know, she was reading like 
Angela and with a great Italian accent. And I was thinking if we go that route of putting an American, I mean, then she's fantastic and mm-hmm. hilarious. <laughs> okay. I know we're running a little low on time. Let's do one more call. Hey, what's up guys? Uh, I'm Travis actually right around where Virginia tech is located. If you know where that is, I have a question. Greg, when he comes on, I would just love to hear his thoughts on the possibility of taking a flesh, which, by the way, fantastic job uh, from him with the movie. I loved my wife, who's slightly less of a flesh fan than me. She thoroughly enjoyed it, too. And I think that's I love that. know, the barometer of you know, this movie that we get watched in our house uh, repeatedly, obviously. Uh, anyway, the question I'm curious about is what are his thoughts on adapting Fletch to a possible series? Seems to be the way a lot of television, uh, a lot of shows, a lot of characters are going, uh, adapting it to some sort of series on a, on a streaming service, um, and maybe maybe even using an, an original uh, original plot opposed to to a novel. I just love to kind of pick his brain about where can this uh, great, like loved beloved character go in the future, and how can it become you know more accessible uh, for more people. Uh, so anyway, thanks for all you all's hard work, and I look forward to listening to you. I certainly have seen comments to that effect. People say this should be a series. This would be a great series. I've seen some negative comments to say that this movie is no better than a pilot for a mediocre good series. <laughs> um, I saw that. It's like okay, <laughs> yeah, you can't win them all. Um, but but uh. I mean, when I, yeah, I mean, I've thought about it. I thought like, do you do something like where you adapt a book in three long episodes, you know, like three, one hour episodes, um, or do you create new storylines and, and figure out how to do 10 episodes to tell those storylines? I certainly would watch it. I think that would be really challenging. I mean, I, you know, I was asked if, there was a sequel early on. Would you want to create an original story or to adapt the books? And I said, I would only want to adapt the books. Um, I don't only want to springboard off of the books. I'm not, maybe I'm not confident enough, but I also feel like there's so much there and there's so much there that you can apply to now. Um, you know, Fletcher's fortune is about a journalism conference. Is, is this not a great time? to tell a story about the media and journalism and what's happening in the world and all, you know, the pros and cons of journalism and, and the insanity of the world. And, uh, you know, to sort of use McDonald's, you know, mixture of cynicism and true affection that is so, is so poignant. I mean, cause he obviously loved a lot about the being a reporter and he also saw for what it is. And um, he, you know, he's not he's not afraid to kick someone in the shins who deserves it. But he also clearly has had a lot of respect for the profession. Um, I could never I, I would need his insights to jump off of. So. Yeah. So maybe, you know, for instance, if someone wanted to take the prequel books and turn those into a one season limited thing, a good and decide idea. whether or not to, to do it again, that would be super cool. And if they want John and I to help out, you know, or I, I'd be totally into that. That would be super fun because, you know, like I said, John knows he's too 
too old. He's, he's a little older than Fletch to begin with, obviously, but he's way too old to play young Fletch. Um, that would be awesome. Um, I would love to see people make a Flynn movie or series. Yeah. yeah. Or series. Yeah. Hey, with deep fakes now, you could do John as a young Fletch. That's true. Deep that fake. is true. That is true. <laughs> I'm, I'm very curious to see the new Indiana Jones. Uh, I am too. Oh my God. I can't wait. Hey, I had a quick question. What's more of a compliment? Um, I loved, because I love jazz and I loved the soundtrack for Confess. Where did you kind of decide on that type of genre? Because, I mean, I thought it was a great soundtrack. Just the jazzy kind of, you know. It started with, I'd worked with David Arnold on Paul. And so I'd asked him if he would do the music. But it moving to jazz happened earlier than that. I thought it started with the idea that I would make Morris a jazz guy. Mm-hmm. Um, that that would be a fun character trait for him. That he plays it in his office. He plays it in the car. Um and my uh, music supervisor on the movie, who's a um, great guy, um, he said, do you think, and I'd like written in some like Art Blakey stuff and some Horace Silver stuff that was on Blue Note. And he said, he said, why don't you let me go to Blue Note and see if they'd be interested in, in, in partnering with us on this? And it could help us, you know. Like, it's very hard to get a soundtrack sold in this day and age. Yeah. But if they thought it was good for them, they might help defray some of the costs of buying the music. And that's what ended up happening. So they helped us pay for some of the rights to the music. Mm-hmm. And because they have relationships with the estates of all the artists, um, we were able to get stuff that I think would have been really hard to get otherwise. Um, and Blue Note, you know, Blue Note music, I love deeply. It's not always the easiest music to use in a movie because it's it's complex and and it's and it's it sort of demands your attention often. But we found enough pieces and we found enough places where something that, you know, like we used a big Art Blakey piece at the end of the film, um, which is very famous to jazz lovers, um, but, I, you know, was kind of a satisfying way to take it from playing in the car with Morris and Grizz and out into the world and take us into the last scene as if Fletch put on that cd yeah in the in his rental right. apartment because he liked hearing it and and you know i i just thought fuck you know you know i saw i've seen people call it an old farts movie because of the jazz and people like to make fun of jazz but you know i just think they're missing out on something like one of the one of the greatest american art innovations of all time yeah and also a great american great african-american art mm-hmm. form because anyone I know who sort of disses jazz when they bring it up, they're talking about the shit you hear in a hotel lobby, um, <laughs> like smooth jazz. Smooth it's jazz. Like you yeah. have no idea. Yeah, you've you've <laughs> never really listened to Charlie Parker or, or Miles Davis. You just right. and some people just don't hear it. It's their loss, man. Because it's 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 great. I thought, why not put in something I love? And it will probably alienate some people, but fuck them. You know, <laughs> yeah. those people have a lot. Those people who who want to be pandered to have a lot of entertainment yeah you know exactly. i have a pet i have a pet peeve about kind of pop culture references and stuff today because i feel like people it's an easy thing to fall on fall back on and the audience will go hey i've heard of that yeah person i know what that's a reference to and they feel included but it's like you're really putting a, a, a like a timestamp on your movie that like in 10 years that's not going to be effective anymore. And your movie's not going to have longevity because 
it filled really, it with too many yeah dates it cameos it really and yeah, yeah. It really it really dates it. it's like you go back and look at like road to morocco with bob hope and oh Bing sure Crosby. yeah yeah and I it's like you know yeah they're great and yeah. and they're so silly that like the dated references have a charm to them but you know they're not going to play for a lot of people right you have to know who dorothy well, lamore is to get right jokes, exactly you know? right. um the original fletch does it too with references like that hop along cassidy and things like that yeah Papa Taco and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's you know it's like it is it's a thing and it's it's perfectly it's perfectly fine. But um, yeah, I just find like sometimes it's like comedies are just doing it. It's like you don't even they don't even write a joke. They just drop a reference to something popular now. And it's well, I think too it 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 kind of goes back to what you're saying about you know your Dashiell Hammett, your Sam Spade. You know, it's it's kind of a more of a classic kind of you know music. And I think it kinda, yeah yeah. You know, I think, I mean, I think the movie is old fashioned in a way yeah. and, 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 and I'm fine with that. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like, yeah. But I really think that's part of its charm. Yeah, I agree. I think it is part of the charm of it. I think you're exactly right. Greg, while we're on the music really quick and you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but a, a lot of people are wondering, especially listening to our last interview, what does a song like Moon River cost? Or I mean, can you give us some kind of a range and just so we have some kind of an idea of like what? What a song like that cost that's over 60 years old. I think the number that came back was like 50 or 60,000. Um my god. And that's and and in music rights there's two sides of it. You're paying for the the song itself and then and then you're paying for the person the the people who own the rights to the song. Uh and it, they're separated rights somehow and I still after all this time can't always get my head around it. But you're paying for the sync rights you're paying for the publishing rights. Um, so somebody owns the song and somebody owns the the copyright. So I don't, it still doesn't make sense when I'm Got saying it. it out loud. So it's like, usually it's like you pay 30 for one and 30 for the other. Um, uh, this pilot I just did, we wanted to, we want to use a standard. Uh, we want to use somewhere over the rainbow because it has a, a, a thematic point in it. And we got a similar number back and we'll see if we can afford it or not. Um you know, when I did the movie Adventureland, we were getting songs for um, fifteen thousand because we were a low budget film, and the and because the soundtracks had kind of fallen apart, we were able to make deals that were just way way better than you can make now. That was just a moment in time, and I had a very aggressive, good uh, music supervisor who would just basically with some songs that were used in very featured ways, we had to pay more for. But for a lot of the songs that play, and there's a ton of music in that. Um, we were getting what's called favorite nations. Everyone, it's like everyone else is getting $15,000 for this song. So if you let us, you know, if you want to do it, that's what, that's what we're paying. We're not going to pay more if it's, if it's not a super featured song, like we use some Velvet Underground songs that are very featured and we had to pay more for those. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think I could make deals like that now, especially because no one's making any money in streaming. So if, if John were to whistle the Fletch theme, is that different than it? That would be the same as playing it. The same? Maybe even more. Really? Yeah. I mean, it kind of depends because sometimes if you use the original recording that used, you know, that they did at the time that Harold Faltermeyer, I'm sure, oversaw with mm-hmm. musicians, um, the, the ownership of that might, you know, the people who own that might say we want a lot of money for that because it's yeah. a classic bit of film score. You never know. You kind of never know who you're going to, if you're going to come against, come up against a big company like Universal or Sony who owns gigantic ca- catalogs of music. 
Um, or like we were thinking of using a Modern Lovers song, a Jonathan Richmond song in it, because mm-hmm. he's very Boston. Um, and he has a song called Picasso. We're thinking of maybe using that somewhere in the movie. The people who happen to own all of his early masters for that are just really, it seems, I would say, unreasonable in their expectations of what you're going to pay for it. And it was just way out of, it was like our entire music budget. It was like, well, that's not going to happen. So um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a weird world. I, in the case of Moon River, cause we were actually, it was $50,000 just for one of the rights because we were doing our own version of it. So if we had wanted a, a famous recording of it, it would have been that much more. The Audrey Hepburn. Yeah. Yeah. So can we officially say that the sequel is quote, in development can we say that sure okay I, I don't think any i don't think anyone would yell at me for saying that but i mean the the production itself there is a difference i assume from in development and officially green lighted for production oh yeah yeah they, well they they're, they're paying me to write it they have to you know then i'll get notes and rewrite it and notes and rewrite it, and that's that process can last what seems like an eternity um, it depends on how much they want to write it. I mean, how much they want to make mm-hmm. it. And then and then at some point, either they'll green light it contingent to cast. They'll say, we'll okay. make it, but but X number of roles need to be filled with people at, at uh, of on these lists of of known actors. Um, and if you can't meet, if you can't um entice those the, those actors into doing it, either like there was an early situation on on Confess Fletch where there were some names that we talked about that were fairly big that if we maybe could have gotten them to say yes to play someone like Morris, uh-huh. um, may, maybe they would have put more money into it. And that list was pretty short and 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 we got no's pretty quick. And the no's we got were along the lines of like, I don't think these actors ever read the script. It was like you know, we were never going to come to the number that their agents were going to be happy with. Um, and it wasn't the, the product didn't have the kind of profile, you know, I'm, I'm always in that situation where unrealistic expectations are had by the financiers that like, you're somehow going to get Keanu Reeves or Matt Damon to say yes to something. And yet they're going to take one tenth of what they make, um, and work really hard. You know, it's like, you know, it's like, yeah, that happens for some people. There are some directors who have like real close relationships with movie stars and they can get those movie stars to uh, to work for less. But it's, you know, and, and we got great actors to work for less. Um, but, you know, the list of star, the list of who's a star changes and is very short. Um mm-hmm. So, so, you know, we'll see, we'll see what that, that particular game becomes, but what's interesting about getting a green light is it always happens in drips and drabs. And there's never that moment where you get to like sort of open the bottle of champagne. It's always like, yeah, you're kind of making the film, but we might pull the plug (laughs) if something goes wrong. You know, it's, 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 you know, you never know. I assume the day one you're shooting, you're like, okay, there's a pretty good chance. It's I'm going to finish. I think this is, yeah, I think this is happening. Yeah. 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 If there's no, if there's no uh, sexual harassment claims on the course of making this film, if everyone behaves. Hey, um, are you shooting the, uh, the pilot for Hulu? Is it the Adventureland pilot? Is that what you're shooting or is it something different? No, it's, it's a, a show uh, starring and created by Ronnie Chang, 
the, I know that I read that there was going to be a series based on Adventureland, but I didn't know if that was, if you had anything that I assume you had. A- yeah, we're, I'm, I'm co-writing with Andy Ciara, who, who who wrote the movie Palm Springs. It was super oh, talented. I love that guy. movie, by the way. That was a really oh, yeah, funny fantastic. Movie. Yeah, I love And that he movie. also showrun a great series called The Resort that was on this year, which was uh, really terrific. And he's super talented. And luckily for me, he's an Adventureland fan. So he's co-writing it with me. And we actually owe another. We got notes on the last draft. We owe. It's just always happening in between all our other demanding projects but maybe yeah maybe something will happen yeah it sucks that you have to bounce around from writing project to writing project and you can't just stay in the fletch world and just write fletch right i you know yeah i mean part of that is my decision to live in new york city and it's so fucking expensive that i have to always be working i have to (laughs) just uh you know having three kids in new york city is a lot of money so it's if 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 i got if i was smart I would have moved to Austin or somewhere. Yeah. Uh, hey, we've got room. Everybody's coming here. <laughs> Where are you from, Long Island? I, I'm from Long Island. Yeah, I'm from Long Island. It's hard for me to imagine anywhere else yeah. to live because New York is is home. Well, I tell you what, you have been so nice to us, so we can't thank you enough because I tell you what, I mean, you've just been, I mean, and it's been huge for us too. I mean, it has just been because of you. I mean, That's we've awesome. just exploded. Wouldn't you agree, LJ? Absolutely. Since day one. You've been a supporter of ours, and you kind of legitimized our podcast. Well, I I respect what you're doing. So it's, you know, I got into this business hoping I could make stuff that would reach people the way the things I love reached me. Mm-hmm. Um, I have friends who are a lot richer than me and, and have, you know, bigger names in this business. But some of them are doing stuff that I, you know, it's like Godspeed, but it's not stuff I want to do. You know, I've been approached about some bigger tentpole type things. And and because I have a family, I have to take it seriously. Sure. But it's not really where my heart is. I mean, stuff like Fletch and those. And, you know, when I finally got off my lazy ass and read the books, I was like, this really speaks to me. This is my sensibility. Awesome. Yeah. I, 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 I love detective stories. I love this reinvention of the detective novel. Um, and I thought, yeah, this is, I couldn't ask for more. And it shows, it shows, you know, yeah, your passion. It really does. Um, well, it's nice of you to say, and I hope to, yeah, I hope to, to do an even better job on the next one. Cause I, I learned a lot. So. But you don't have a timeline yet of even when you might shoot it. I, I don't. I really yeah. don't. I mean, it's so it'd be like two years, two three years. Probably, it it right? could be. I'd be so happy if we're somehow in production in next year somewhere. But mm-hmm. you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. I don't know if I'm gonna whip out a first draft in two weeks. But when I have this pilot done, I'm gonna jump into it full time and and you know really immerse myself in it and and i'm excited to write it sometimes when you're writing and you're you're and it's a job and a paycheck it drags on because (laughs) you're not as excited i tell you what the as of i think fletch's fortune is a super fun read i I mean it's i i always thought that it would be a great movie i just think fortune would be a i mean confess obviously was too but Fortune is so fun, and I think there's so yeah. many characters, and I just think that it, you would have a lot of fun playing around with that book. 
Yeah, it has a similar sense in that in that you know I've even seen criticisms of Fletch's fortune that Fletch gets a little himself gets a little lost amongst all the oh, colorful yeah. characters, yeah. which which you know plays to I think what I like to do, which is to get John in a reactive situation. But I want to keep an eye on making sure he's he we're start, we're following him and he's propelling the story, and that's always you know that's just a balance thing, but um. But yeah, it's exciting to think about modern day equivalents of some of these people that Craig McDonald was sending up. Mm-hmm. Um, some with some affection and some with a little less affection. And uh, and it's great. It's fucking great. It was super quick. I cannot believe you got all that footage in Italy in like a day or two. I can't believe you got all that done in like a couple of days. It was it was very, you know, it was like a little bit of a army maneuver. We had to be yeah. so perfectly planned. We did all the Vespa stuff on one sort of second unit day. And and before that first day, we did all of the dialogue scenes. We did some of the interiors in Boston. So we did like, like Angela's apartment. We found this weird old mansion that could plausibly feel like a turn of the century, which in Italy would be new, new, new architecture, Mm. but it felt appropriately rich enough that she could be living there. Um, And, and yeah, we had to, all those exterior scenes, we had to cram into a day, but it was, you know, that was fun. Oh, it looked great. And you know what? I don't know if I told you, but Jason yeah. McDonald said, I, I think I might have said this, that a Gregory McDonald would have loved the movie just when he saw Fletch on a Vespa in Italy. He said after that, he would have just absolutely loved the film. <laughs> yeah. He said he just would have got the biggest kick out of seeing Fletch on a Vespa. I, I, I tweeted about going to a, a French movie with my son. It's a sequel to 400 Blows and and... I think it was Jason. He wrote, he sent me a post, the picture of a poster is his dad's favorite movie is 400 blows. Isn't that, that awesome? Really nice to see. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It's so awesome. It's very, it's very, I got very nice contact from both of the, both sons and it was, yeah. it made me really happy. And, nice. and his, so, his widow really loved it too. Jason said. Yeah. Yeah. Carol really yeah. liked it. Yeah. Yeah. That was, I, yeah, I got a really Gladly. nice note from, Gladly. from him about them and it's, uh, it could not have made me happier. So, Greg, I know you got to go, but in all seriousness, if we can help in any way, if you need us, we're more than happy to help. Uh, I, listen, I, that was a sincere question of about bringing back Aiden and Roy because because I don't want to do it for the wrong reasons. But if there's a way that makes sense and and is a way of building on, you know, there's a great pleasure in characters coming back. And I know that those are not characters that came back, not exactly the characters from the book. Um, and wouldn't it be nice if if Gregory McDonald had brought Flynn back in a Fletch book or oh, Fletch yeah. into a Flynn book, but he didn't, but he did it with other characters. And so, you know, I feel like there's a precedent at least that if, if you can earn it. So that's why I wanted to pick your brains because no one would know better than you guys, you know. And then you've got to think too, if you don't bring them back here, well, yeah, exactly. where do you bring them back? I mean, like there a spot in, in the man yeah. who, or something like in that. Moxie, or, Moxie yeah, or yeah. Exactly. yeah. They're 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 like Fletch in that they're pests, you know. That's what I took from Flynn is they're pests, you know. They don't they don't they don't you can't shake them easily. Um, so <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna give some real thought to that. So thank you guys. Yeah, of course, anytime. Greg, I know you got to run. That about wraps up this episode of Fletchcast. This was a lot of fun. Appreciate your time as always. Thank you guys. Thank you, Fletch fans, for listening. Thanks to everybody who called in. We really appreciate it. Hey, Craig, you want to catch the last 10 minutes of Dynasty with us? <laughs> yeah, yes, absolutely. <laughs> you are awesome, my friend. For Greg and Jake, 
I'm Laker Jim. See you guys. See you. Bye. See you. Bye.